Hello and welcome to MMA Fight Club. In today's episode, we're going to be giving a full breakdown of UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike vs. Sakai, also known as UFC Vegas 28. This event's being held in Vegas on Saturday, June 5th, with an early start time of 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern. As of right now, there's 14 fights scheduled on this card, so a lot of action. Um, let's hope that all those fights stay on the card. No big names in the card. Uh, Jarzino Rosenstrike, who's fighting in the main event, is probably the biggest name in the card. Otherwise, uh, for the casual MMA fan, a lot of these names here are not going to be recognizable. Um, and there's no belt in the line either. Uh, so we start the night off here with the first fight on the prelim card, which is going to be Claudio Puelas, the Peruvian, fighting the American Jordan Levitt. And Jordan's coming in here with a lot of momentum. Uh, he's 8-0, and just went ahead and earned his first victory in the UFC. A very decisive win. He got a first-round knockout. He went ahead and picked up Matt Wyman, carried him across the ring, and slammed him on the ground within the first, like, 20 seconds. So it was a very impressive win, his first UFC fight. Um, so he's coming into this fight off of that win. Uh, prior to the Matt Wyman uh, victory, he went ahead and fought uh, Flores in the um, Contender Series, got a first-round uh, choke submission. So, uh, like I said, he's coming in here with a lot of steam, but he's definitely unproven, right? He's only 8-0. and He hasn't really fought any steep competition. And uh, when you look at him fight, you know, it's real clear. He wants to get on the ground. Uh, he likes to grapple. He's got a good submission game. Um, you know, whenever I saw him take a, a big hit or two, he was quick to take a single leg, uh, double leg, which is good. That's, that's high fighter IQ. He knows his wheelhouse. Um, only thing is on that note, he doesn't seem to have a lot of striking power. Okay. So if he's striking, um, it's usually to set up a takedown or maybe even just to get some points. But, you know, by now, if you've watched film on him and you know, the kind of fighter he is, you know you can get in there and, and you know you could take a punch of his or two without worrying about really getting rocked. So you could take a few of his hits if you're looking to come in there and, and throw some shots. So if there's anything about his game that I see that's a big weakness is his striking. He doesn't seem to be you know hard striker, but on the ground seems to be um, that's where he wants to be at. He seems to have good wrestling skills, good BJJ skills. I think he's a purple belt in BJJ. So. You know, very experienced fighter when it comes to, to that area of his game. But again, he's only eight and zero. And this fight here is interesting because you know you gotta you gotta look at the fact that he is minus he's a minus two fifteen, so he's quite a big favorite. And I guess if you know you're looking at but you know looking at that he's coming in here undefeated. He's one of the new UFC guys. He does have quite a personality. Um, if you if you've got a chance to see him, he does like a jump split at the end of a few fights you know he does this like flying flying celebration where he jumps up in the air and his coach holds him and it's like a reference to dirty you know dirty dancing an old movie from the 80s and um you know i'm not questioning his sexuality at all but if you didn't know you think okay maybe the guys you know maybe he's gay you know which is whatever that's fine no no big deal um but that's not the case actually he, you know he's just just having a baby just expecting his wife and him or expecting so he's just you know a guy having fun big personality you know and um you gotta like that but i think there's a little bit of a rub there i think you know just just all of that that personality and stuff and so because at minus heck minus 215 or so um that seems to be a little too much i think this fight should be more of a pick -em. Now, talking about Puelas for a second here, 
this guy, the big knock on him is like he just hasn't fought very much. Um, he's a very inactive fighter. So whereas, you know, Jordan's been very active, you know, this is like a year and a half layoff, okay, from his last fight. You know, so he dominated in that fight, but it was a guy that wasn't very good. Um, it looked like his, you know, choice in that fight of, of, of victory was taking the guy down to the ground. He had a lot of takedowns, so it was very strong in the wrestling, you know, area. But again, it wasn't a strong opponent. It was Mariano. And that was a year and a half ago, um, you know. And then prior to that fight, he fought Silva in 2018. He won that fight via third round knee bar. I could say if you look at that fight, it wasn't it wasn't like a lucky knee bar because he kept trying to get the knee bar even earlier in the fight. So, you know, I mean, this is going to be his third fight since 2016. So it's like, woo, that's like what you're 20, 25 years old, you know, fighting what three times every like I don't know every five years or something. That's just not going to cut it. So now I think there could be maybe one big factor that could have you know you know I guess weighed into him not fighting as much. Most of his UFC fights, or almost all of his UFC fights, were like Latin American UFC fights, like UFC Argentina, UFC Mexico, and I don't know how that works. I'm not sure if there's like a different roster, some kind of like a sub-roster for Latin American fights where the UFC is going to like tap those guys because they're Latin American fighters, like this, you know, for, for Claudio Puelas, for example, he's from Peru. So I don't know, I don't know if that's a factor, but there were some cancellations on his, you know, on his on his uh, recent schedule, which could have been a contributing factor. Either way, the year and a half layoffs a little scary. My thinking is though, if you're looking at this from a betting perspective, like he could be an interesting dog. Um, I'm going to side here with with Levitt. I do think that he's just got enough. You know, he's young. He's he's got the momentum. Probably in minus two fiends, minus two fifteen is too much. It's probably too high. But I still think he wins this fight. I think if it's close, he wins the fight. I think, you know, Claudio comes in here. He just, I mean, ring rust is probably going to be a factor. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think Levitt gets, you know, gets a slight victory here. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a split decision because, um, you know, both fighters are young. They're both, you know, 25, 26 respectively. The one wild card here I'm going to say is that, and I'll tell you, I might put some kind of a prop bet on Puelas. Um, like Puelas by, you know, just by decision the reason why is because who knows what if what if claudio Puelas got like way better what if he's it's a year and a half you know he's only 25 years old so a lot can happen between the age of 23 to 25 ish you know so that's the wild card you know we know what jordan's doing you know he's active he's having fun dancing around the ring doing all that stuff he's eight and no i just heard a heard a post-fight interview with him recently and he said something that was interesting to me he had knocked out Matt Wyman. And when they asked him some questions in the post-fight interview, he was very like empathetic. And he said something like, you know, I felt bad for Matt Wyman. I've never been knocked out. And that must be like a really bad feeling. And it just got me to thinking that um, it's just another reminder. He's a very young fighter, okay? It was sort of like a way of him showing his youth, like I've never been KO'd. And, you know, hopefully you never get KO'd, right? But most likely, if you, you stay in this game long enough, you're going to catch a punch. It could even happen in practice, right? So it just um, it kind of shows you he's young. So there's a lot there. And we don't know what Claudio is going to bring to the table, right? So you can come in here all rusty and out of shape and just another good, easy win for Jordan. And he moves on and gets a grapple win. He gets a submission win, something like that, or just a decision. But, you know, there is a who knows factor here. I'm going to go towards Levitt. Um, 
putting him probably in a few parlays. And um, But I'm not doing it with a lot of confidence because, again, there is an X factor here. So that's how I feel in that fight. All right, next up on the card, we've got Yusuf Zalal versus Sean Woodson. And I'm going to get right to it. I'm on Zalal. Um, he's the plus 160 underdog. Woodson's a minus 200 favorite. I think that this fight should be more of a pick em. And um, I understand why it's not. I understand why there's some, you know, more favoritism, I guess, towards Woodson. But when you start looking closely at these guys and what they do well and, you know, looking at Woodson, you know, Woodson suffered a loss about a year ago to Arosa. And that was such a bad loss. When you look at the factors coming in, it was a late replacement and Arosa was coming in on literally like three days notice. Imagine like you, you're coming in on a full camp and there's a last minute replacement and the guys coming in there on like two, three days notice. You're thinking, okay, I got this. You know what I mean? And Woodson was a minus 500 in that fight. Okay. So he was a minus 500 favorite and he ended up getting choked out and lost in the third round. So it was ugly. Um, what really stood out to me too was Woodson doesn't have any power in his punches, right? So he throws like volume. He never loads up, never has like any like load up from the hip or anything like that. Doesn't really look to hit you hard ever. So it's just strictly points, setting up for other things, setting up for possible takedowns. Um, you know, so he's never really hitting you. So he's, you know, he's going to finish you if he gets you in the ground and gets, you know, a chance to choke you or something. He's got like long arms. So submission wise, he's got some finishing ability, but you know, um, yeah, that fight against Arosa, my goodness. Um, you know, now Rosa's looking decent. He is on a three fight winning streak now. So, you know, he's doing his thing and showing that he's not some slouch, but you know, again, I think Woodson still has a lot to prove. So I'm like, wow, minus 200. I don't know. Um, I just haven't seen enough from him where I'm feeling like, you know, he's going to do a lot. Now, you know, going into another fight on his resume, he fought Bochniak in 2019. And now, I know it's two years ago, but this is, you know, the more recent fights on his on his uh, history. Woodson beat Bochniak by decision. And, you know, you look at Bochniak now, you know, Bochniak went two and five while in the UFC. He's no longer in the UFC, but... He was a two and five fighter in the UFC and he went three rounds with Woodson and it was, it was a decision and, you know, just sort of shows you where Woodson's at. Um, so I think this minus 200 is a little bit inaccurate. Um, so I'm thinking here, if you're looking for a dog on the card, I like this spot. Um, this is not a dog or pass for me. I'm actually straight up going to be on Zalal and let's talk a little bit about Zalal. He lost his last fight against Choi. And that's interesting because Choi is a Far Eastern fighter, Asian, you know, fighter. And I've recently been telling you I've, I should fade the Asian fighters because I've been on them recently. I've supported them. They've been in my parlays that have crashed and burned. And, um, and so this one is kind of bucks the trend. Choi is, Choi is pretty good. And I, I watched his fight against Zalal. Choi is a good fighter. I'm not going to be surprised if he's making some moves. Um, you know, within the UFC, he's very good. He's long, like six foot one tall, you know, good wrestling. And it was a good fight, but Choi just sort of, you know, got the best of Zalal, you know, and, and that kind of, you know, caught up to him. Um, 
Zalal's reputation is he's taken a lot of recent fights where he's coming in on short notice, right? So, um, and even in that fight against Choi, you know, he came in short notice um, and he was still the favorite. So he came in short notice and he was still a minus 250 favorite and Choi just like threw all that out the window, right? Um, you know, so his fight before that, he fought Topuria. And that was about seven months ago and he lost that fight by decision. And, um, you know, he came into that fight. He was also favored to win as well, which is, you know, never good. You're losing fights when you're favored to win, right? But Zalal's young. Um, you know, I think at, at his age right now, 24 years old, he's going to be 25 here soon. I think he's still doing a lot of, a lot of growing. He's a very active fighter. He's got a good lower leg kick when he gets to using it. Woodson's really skinny. <laughs> okay, so like his legs don't look like they could take much punishment. Um, you know, in terms of activity, Zalal fought four times in 2020. Um, this will be his second time fighting in 2021. So the guy's like, you know, he loves fighting. He's very active. He's trying to find his rhythm. This could be a nice victory for him. And look, could, could Woodson win the fight? Yeah, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of putting my money behind a guy who has like absolutely no KO power, doesn't hit with any hard strength, and, you know, just kind of got destroyed there by a guy who's walking off the street. You know, that was not a good loss. So I got real questions about Woodson. Amon Zalal, plus 160. Um, so that's the maybe second, third. Looking back at this, like the third uh, underdog that we're on here for the night. So we're on to the next one. Man and Firat versus Marina Maraz. And this fight's close. I went back and forth on on where I thought my uh, my pick was going to be at, and then I came across something that was like the deal breaker for me. It was like so clear at that point where I was was going to side. And so, let me get right into this here. Miraz is the more experienced fighter. She's only ten and three, but she's been in there with like Carla Esparza, Angela Hill. She's been in there against even like Sabina Mazo. So she's fought some people. The knock on Manon Furat is that she's coming in here six and one. And yeah, she's on a six fight winning streak, but she just hasn't fought anybody notable. Um, so that's one of the big questions with her. Now, when you look at the fights that she's fighting in, the one thing you really love about Furat is she's very active. She's an athlete. So she's got that quick twitch muscle reaction. She, like I saw times when girls try to take her down and she would pop up and roll up and and seems to maintain that level of athleticism and that energy through three rounds. Her front kick game is excellent. She's going to kick you right in the stomach. She's going to kick you straight in the stomach. She'll do spinning kicks to the stomach. Um, so she's active in that area too. Seems to have very good striking skills. So she's not throwing big looping punches. She's throwing straight punches. And when you watch her, the only question is, well, who she's fighting. And, and that's, that's the big issue. That's the big wild card here. Now, if the girls that she's fighting are not that good, I will say this, like she's putting the work on them. She's making it clear that she's a, she's a level above them. She's dominating those fights. She's doing her job. She's going in there. She's finishing people. She's kicking girls. She's, you know, she's showing you why um, she's a level above and why she belongs in the UFC. And like I said, she's coming in here a six fight winning streak. Okay, so now hold that note for a second while I go to talk about Miraz. Now with Miraz, she has a win over Bueno Silva, and that was uh, about a year ago. If you watch that fight, she did win the fight. She won round one, and she won 
round two and she won because of activity right so she landed like just enough punches you know some jabs here and there she has a decent kicking game you know um you know bueno silver was coming into that fight six and oh so here she was coming in here with a little momentum and so what ends up happening is Mirage just you know i think bueno silver is a slow starter she's done that in other fights but she you know she lost the first two rounds round three Mirage takes some serious punishment she gets knee to the head she's bleeding pretty badly um if this fight goes on much longer maybe they don't even let it go on maybe they stop the fight because of the cut or maybe another round and silva just knocks her out um because you could see that Mirage was just running out of energy and was just barely holding on so she got the win but that fight didn't look great when you look at the whole picture right um going to her fight against mazo and that was uh 2019 so it was a while ago you know she beat mazo but mazo's kind of a lower level fighter we're, we're starting to see that mazo has limitations okay it's, she's not the worst fighter but she's still young has a lot to prove um Mirage was just able to control her. That's 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 the weakness, right, for Mazo. Like take her down, control her against the fence. You know, you know, keep her in tight. And so here's what really was the big decision maker for me. Looking at the Angela Hill fight, watch Angela Hill fight Mirage. Now that was back a few years ago, so I understand that it's probably been two years or so since that fight. All right, but isn't Angela Hill kind of like what I described Man of Furad as? like very athletic okay that's what i started thinking i'm like yeah men is like really athletic like she's quick she's going to be quicker than mirage there's just no question men is going to be quicker than 99 percent of the girls that she's going to face because she's just really quick she's really athletic she has that gene well angela hill dominated mirage in that fight angela hill beat her 30 27 on every judge's scorecard and it was because Angela Hill was able to just bop and dip and kick and strike and move. And Mraz is kind of a sitting target. Mraz does not have great head movement. Okay. What Mraz does well is she can take a punch. She can take a punch. She's got a solid chin. She does that really well. And she delivers volume. You know, that's what she does well. Leg kicks, you know, punches, whatever else. But she takes punches. I can see clearly Farat not only landing the harder punches, probably opening up a cut on Mirage. This fight might not even go the distance because Firat's got leg kicks, head kicks. She's going to tag Mirage. And we're going to see real quickly here, is Firat legit? Is her six-fight winning streak legit? Is she the girl that can move up the ladder here and be something special? Or is Mirage, like, at the plus 130 underdog, like, is she, like, still willing to, you know, stay here in her position or make a move forward? Um, because she has been approved too. Um, but anyway, looking at this fight up and down, I'm siding with Farah. I think the athletic ability alone is a difference maker. She's going to be just that much quicker on her striking, on her ability to avoid strikes, on her ability to get takedowns, her kicks. She's going to beat Mirage to the punch per se. And I think that's going to be the decision maker. Next up on the card, we've got Alan Patrick versus Mason Jones. And here we've got the old guy on the block, 37-year-old Alan Patrick, who's 15 and 3, versus the young kid, Mason Jones, who's 26 years old, 10 and 1, coming in here off of his first loss. Now, that first loss, Jones lost his fight to Davis, and that was just a few months ago. And if you watch that fight, um, 
could have gone either way. It could have gone either way. So some people thought maybe Davis won that fight. Some people thought Jones won the fight. But either way, it was a good fight. Jones got cut pretty good. He was bleeding, but he kind of worked through that. Showed a very nice lower leg kick. Very good cardio, especially late in the fight. Um, I think that's where he's going to have a big edge here over Patrick. Um, unfortunately for Patrick, you know, he's had a decent career. But at 37, you know, he's going to be actually 38 here very soon, just a few months. I think this possibly could be it. May even be his last fight. You know, he's lost three of his last six fights. Um, this would be four of seven if this if he loses this fight. So it may be it for him here. Um, I saw some serious cardio issues in his last few fights. There's a 12-year age difference here with him, um, with, with Patrick and Jones. So I just think the younger fighter comes in here. And even if it's close, let's say, in the first or second round, by the third round, there's going to be just a serious difference in cardio. I could see Jones even finishing him late second round uh, or at some point in the third round. So really strong favoring here, Jones. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Jones is the best fighter in that division. I just think this is more about the older fighter who, if you look at his last few fights, has had some, you know, some real, real glaring issues, especially with cardio late in the fights. And, you know, his last fight in particular, he took a lot of hits there and just, you know, didn't really look good, was real weak, weak on the ground, couldn't get up. Um, if Mason takes him down at some point, Patrick just doesn't have the get-up skills, doesn't have the gas tank, doesn't have the cardio. He'll just lay there, get pounded out, and, you know, he can, he can get finished on the ground possibly with a pounding from Jones or even just on the feet getting knocked down. But either way, I, I see Jones winning the fight, and there's a good possibility, if you're looking at a prop bet, that Jones is going to finish this fight in the second or third round, so it will not go the distance. All right, next up on the preliminary card, we have a welterweight battle between Francisco Trinaldo out of Brazil and Muslim Salikov fighting out of Russia. At first glance here, you're thinking, okay, we got we got some two old-timers here, 42-year-old Trinaldo against 36-year-old Salikov. But I'll tell you this, these guys are in really good shape, good cardio, they're active. And though some people might think it's going to be a boring fight, I think this will be a decent fight. It's going to be a technical, maybe it's not a finish, but it's going to be a technical fight. These guys are going to work for three rounds. They're going to give you a good show, okay? Looking at Trinaldo first, he's 42 years old, 5'9", 70-inch reach. Uh, Salikov is 5'11", with a 69.5-inch reach. So Salikov has a slight height advantage, 2 inches. And then Trinaldo has a half inch reach advantage. Trinaldo is 26 and 7. Salikov is 17 and 2. So they're both very experienced fighters. They've been in the ring for a while. They both have been in there with some decent opponents. Um, starting off first with Trinaldo, he's coming in here on a three fight winning streak. He beat Jay Herbert back in um, July of last year with an overhand right in the third round. So he got a third round finish. Prior to that, he got a decision win over John McDessie and a decision win over Bobby Green. So Decent little run he's on here on a three-fight winning streak for Trinaldo. Looking at those fights in particular, what really helped him to get those wins were his clinch advantage. Okay, so he's got a lot of strength, this guy. 42 years old, he's got that old man power, that man strength. He'll get you to the ground, he'll lay on you, he'll pressure, put, you know, put, be heavy on top. Um, so he knows how to get the clinch going. If you hit him hard on the feet, he will clinch and grab you. He'll bring the fight in close. He's got good survival instincts. And that's where I see an advantage in this fight. I think if he gets his hands on Muslim Salikov, that's where he's going to have an advantage of owning the clinch control, getting back control, getting him on the ground, and owning those positions. So, again, Francisco coming in here in this fight on three-fight winning streak, doing okay. You know, looking to go four, you know, four and zero in his last four fights. 
As for Muslim Salikov, he's coming in here in a four-fight winning streak, okay? So he's also won his last four fights and looking to make it five in a row. The quality of competition for Salikov in his last four fights has been okay. He did see Starpoli, who he won by decision. Then he won a split decision against Saliski. That was an okay fight. You know, I do like Muslim's cardio. He's got, like, spinning kicks. He's got a lot of energy. Um, and so that's good. Over three rounds, if you're putting money behind a guy like Salikov, he's going to at least try to win the fight for three rounds. I think where he runs into a problem here with Trinaldo is Trinaldo, again, the clinching. And at, even at 42 years old, I, I this guy is super strong. You can see it. He's built well. He's a pretty smart fighter. They're both smart fighters. But I think Francisco knows the path to victory. He's got to win the clinch control points or, or time. He's going to get, you know, at some point, try to look to get Salikov to the ground. And probably Salikov wins the striking battle. So when they're on their feet, maybe Salikov even has a few of the harder punches. And it look, goes to the scorecards. Maybe it's a really close split decision. But if I'm betting on the fight, I'm leaning slightly towards Trinaldo because I think he's going to have the power when they're in the clinch, when they're in the grappling mode. So I'm on Trinaldo. He's a plus 185 underdog. You know, looking at the numbers, it's even more of a reason for me to lean towards Ronaldo because I think this fight is almost a pick 'em. You know, you got two older guys, active fighters, um, you know, going to put on a decent show. Again, probably not going to be a finish. It goes to the scorecard. You get a split decision. Who knows where you're going? At that point, I'd rather just have my money on the plus 185 fighter. Salikov at minus 225, I think that's too high. I, I, I would understand if he was anywhere from like minus 150 to minus like 175. But anything over minus 200, no way. If these if these fighters fought, if you could imagine them fighting like five fights, okay, and who would get the best out of those five? Maybe Salikov wins maybe three out of those five if you really like Salikov, but he doesn't win more than that. And maybe three out of the five fights go to Trinaldo. So, again, this is going decision most likely, going to be close. Minus we'll put our money on towards the dog here. I'm on Trinaldo. All right, next fight on the card, we have Tanner Bozer versus Lear Latifi. And here we have another matchup with a 37-year-old fighter, uh, Latifi. And uh, that's a big factor here for me. He's 37 and also on a three-fight losing streak. Looking at those last three fights, um, just not, not good situations for him. He looked tired. Once he gets to about midway through the fight, second round, he's just tired doesn't give a lot he's trying to grab trying to hold you know going back to the fight against lewis which was in uh february of uh, last year okay so about about a year ago he literally was just holding on for most of the second and third round just just literally grabbing while they're on their feet like a boxer would grab so i think you know here's a fighter at 37 who's 0-3 in his last three fights he's a plus 160 uh, underdog which surprised that's surprising to me it should probably be bigger underdog than that Maybe that speaks to Bozer and some of the issues with Bozer, which I'll get to here shortly. But in any case, yeah, looking at Latifi, his last three fights, you know, that he's dropped. He lost to Derek Lewis, Lewis by decision. He lost to Vulcan by, you know, a round two finish, a TKO. He lost to decision against Corey Anderson uh, back in 2018. So he's only fought three times in the last, like, three years. So he's also not been very active. I think, you know, the writing's on the wall here. Now, as for Bozer, I'll tell you what I like about Bozer. Let's just start there. Let's start positive, right? Bozer has great cardio. So he's got, you know, good footwork. He's going to he's gonna be pretty bouncing his feet for all three rounds of the fight. 
um, going to pretty much give you the same energy for all three rounds, you know. So I do like that a lot about him. Um, he has shown at points to have some strong power in his hands, but I'll break that down a little bit more here in a second. But he has kind of knocked some people out, right? Um, so he's had some decent, you know, little KOs here in his brief little run. Um, so his last fight, though, right? <laughs> his last fight, he fought Andre Orlovsky. And that was back in, uh, that was late fall, winter time, right before Thanksgiving in November. So he fights a 41-year-old Arlovsky, and you're thinking like, okay, here it is, Bozer. They're giving you this fight. Here's a chance for you to, you know, keep gaining momentum in the UFC. And he goes in there for three rounds and pretty much like plays patty cake with Arlovsky. And Arlovsky's like, you know what? I'm 41, man. We could do this all night. Like, I'm just here to collect my money and... You know, this is it. If I can stand three rounds with you and you don't want to fight, fine. We don't have to fight. And so you're watching one of the worst fights ever. If you want to watch one of the worst fights ever, you want to watch heavyweights who don't take any chances for three rounds and do not want any part of either one of each other. And there's no chance of anyone getting hurt and no one gets hit hard and no one gets rocked. That's what that fight was. So that was not cool. Um, if you happen to be wagering on Bozer that night, you're sick to your stomach. You don't even want to hear about him right now. So that wasn't good. I'm hoping he looks back at that and learns from that. Who knows? You know, you've heard people say sometimes that maybe he got knocked out in practice, you know, leading up to that fight. Maybe he got KO'd like two weeks before or something like that. Maybe he got hit hard and just was like, you know, no, knowing that going in and being like, I don't know. It's just really poor effort. Um, before that, you know, he beat Rafael Paseo or Pessoa by uh, by TKO in the round two, and he beat Philip Linz in round one. That was a pretty one-sided match. He knocked him down and kind of beat him up. And so, you know, those those KOs though. This is what I was going to say earlier. He was throwing like really big looping head down to the ground. His hand coming like his head is down. He doesn't even see what he's going to hit throwing a big looping overhead shot and he just happened to like hit the guy and like with Rafael Paseo um, like he hit him and he kind of hit him glanced him against the eye and Paseo just sort of like backed up and like fell to the ground and curled up and it was it was over he got TKO'd and a minute later Rafael Paseo just was he got up he was fine he just was, he just couldn't take that one punch he just was uncomfortable couldn't recover he just showed that he wasn't a very good fighter and against Linz, it was like the same thing. It was like a big looping shot that he rocked Linz with. So, you know, is that going to happen against Latifi? Maybe not. I mean, Bozier's probably going to come out there and do that same, like, tentative, like, you know, work from a distance. Latifi's going to try to get him to the ground because he wants to, you know, grapple, get him to the ground. That's his only path to victory is, you know, position control. Because even when Latifi gets you to the ground, he doesn't do anything. He just holds you. Like, he's the guy who the referee has to step in and say, hey, get up, guys. Okay, so this is a heavyweight fight. Both of these guys did, I think, fight previously. Or no, I'm sorry. I think Latifi fought previously at light heavyweight. So, and Bozier's a smaller stature heavyweight. Some people say he maybe could fight at light heavyweight. Either way, you know, I hate to say it, this might be a not a very good fight. This might be three rounds of just absolute garbage. And then you're walking away from this like, all right, well, I just watched a really boring heavyweight fight. Neither guy got hurt. Latifi grabbed him the entire time. Bozer paid patty cake. And just Bozer maybe just lands a few more shots 
and Latifi just gets tired, just enough tired. But hey, you know what? Like if you want to just just for the heck of it, play the underdog, I guess go with Latifi. But it would just make no sense. Like I don't I don't see any sense in that. You know, a plus one sixty. It's not even that big of a dog. The guy's thirty seven years old. 0-3 in his last three fights. You know, I think Bozier gets the win. He's younger. You know, but maybe minus, whatever, minus 200. I'm not going to bet on him with a whole lot of faith. I might parlay him in one or two small little parlays just to have fun. But anyway, the the, the guy we're going with here is Bozer. All right. For the next fight we have on the card, we've got a women's flyweight bout. Montana De La Rosa of the United States versus Ariane Lipsky of Brazil. At first glance, they're very similar. About the same fighting experience. About the same stature. De La Rosa is 11-6-1, Lipsky's 13-6, De La Rosa's 5-7, Lipsky's 5-6. De La Rosa has a slight reach advantage at 68 inches compared to Lipsky at 67 inches. I went back and forth with this. At first, I thought I was on Lipsky. Then I dived deeper into the film, looked more at their records, and just tried to find as much information as I could. And I came out thinking, you know what? I'm on the side of Montana De La Rosa, and I'm, and I'm on that side. I'll explain to you why. Let's start with Lipsky first. Her last fight was against Antonina Shevchenko. So that's not the Shevchenko that's a champion. That's the sister. Okay, Lipsky just gets dominated in this fight. It's a round two ground and pound loss. And if you ever get a chance to watch this fight, it's very underwhelming. Antonina has like a top position. She bring, you know, she she brings Lipsky to the ground pretty easily. Antonina gets on top of her. She's hitting her. She's grinding her out. And Lipsky is not responding at all. Lipsky's not cut. She's not really seriously hurt. She's just giving up. She covers up. She shells up. Antonina's landing blows that are just not very hard blows. At some point, the referee just has to stop it because Lipsky's not doing anything. So Lipsky just really poor fighter IQ in that fight. Um, had no no response to being on the bottom. Okay, so that was a real glaring loss. Didn't look good. Now, as for Antonina, you know, you have to look at her situation here and see where she's at. Antonina has lost three of her last five fights. Those losses have included losses to Andrea Lee, which was two weeks ago via a second round triangle armbar. She lost to Chaitlin Chukagan. She's lost to Roxanne Modafferi. Um, So, you know, squeezed in there, she got a win against Lipsky and against Pudilova. So when you're looking at that, that opponent, Shevchenko is not that good. And... I mean that with all due respect, but Shevchenko dominated Lipsky in this last fight. Now, going back to her prior fight, okay, Lipsky fought Luana Carolina in the middle summer of 2020, so about last year, about a year ago there in July. If you know anything about Luana Carolina, she's a very underwhelming fighter, um, doesn't bring a lot to the table. You know, I have a lot of questions about her overall ability, whether she's a UFC-level fighter. If you watch this fight, it's sloppy. Lipsky gives up positions several times. Um, if Luana was any kind of quality of opponent, she would have taken advantage of it. But Lipsky was sloppy, and Lipsky just sort of falls on top of Carolina in a weird position and gets a knee bar. I've never seen a knee bar done that way. It was weird. I think it speaks again to Luana not being a very good fighter. And so Lipsky gets that win. That was about a year ago, a knee bar. But I was not impressed. I was not impressed. Um, and then her fight before that, which was all the way back in November of 2019, uh, Lipsky got a win against Isabella Padua. Again, not to be mean, but Padua is just not not UFC level. Okay, so you start going back from there. 
Lipsky has not fought anyone. Her, her, her biggest opponent she fought was Antonina Shevchenko, and she got dominated. Now, as a side note, if you look at the way that Ariel Lipsky fights, if you actually look at her fights, she displays some of the lowest fighter IQ I have ever seen. She's a busy fighter, which is nice, but she makes really silly decisions. She gives up her back very you know, often. She gets out of position, um, You know, doesn't get up in time when she has a window to get up. Just a lot of glaring issues. I don't even know how at first I was on the side of Lipsky. I think it was because I was pretty low on Montana and I had questions about Montana. Let, let's talk about Montana De La Rosa first. And I'll, I'll sort of try to hit upon what my first big issues were her with her. She's got one win in her last four fights. Okay, so I, at first I'm like, okay, that's that's not good. You know, one win in the last four fights. And that one win is against Mara Barella back in February of 2020. Barella's not a very good fighter. Um, yeah, she's barely a UFC level fighter. So, you know, that win was just not a quality win. Right before that, she lost via decision to Andrea Lee. Um, you know, looking at that decision loss, maybe that decision loss is better than that win against Barella, right? Because Andrea Lee is doing well. So this speaks to one of the best qualities that Montana has. Montana has an excellent chin and she's very durable. It's hard to get her out of there. She's most likely going to take you to decision. In her last four fights, she's gone the distance, okay? So this is like her thing. She's durable, pretty good cardio, very good chin. And so against Andrea Lee, she was able to go to the full distance, and she lost via decision. Now, going back to September of last year, September of 2020, she fought Vivian Arajo. And in that fight, she got punished. She took a lot of punches, but Arajo couldn't finish her. She lost the fight by decision. Vivian's a decent up-and-coming prospect i know she just lost recently to you know caitlin chikagan but araja's pretty good that fight against chikagan could have gone either way i see vivian hanging around for a while so you know again that decision loss not the worst in the world it does sort of tell you where montana's at though you know montana's sort of a level around there or a level below then let's go to her last fight this is the one that can make you either want to be on the side of montana or not on the side of montana I chose to look at it as a fight that I think shows why Montana probably wins this fight against Lipsky. She lost, she, she got a draw against Bueno Silva. And if you know anything about Bueno Silva, she's an up and coming prospect. She's seven, one and one. She's a pretty good fighter. Her problem is she starts fights off slow. Whereas Montana is like a busy fighter. She's like another version of Caitlin Chukagan. She's throwing, she's punching, she's yelling, whatever. So in that fight, De La Rosa wins the first round. Okay, she gets Silva down at one point. She wins the first round. In round two, it's a close round. The ref takes a point away from Silva because Silva does grab the cage to prevent a takedown. So the point gets taken away. Moving to the third round, Silva dominates Montana in the third round. She punishes her, almost ends the fight. You see Montana getting really hurt. Judges come out and they announce it to draw. So looking back at the overall fight, if the ref didn't take the point away from Maria Bueno Silva, then of course Bueno Silva wins this fight instead of it being a draw. So looking at the fight closely, I think there's just no way that Lipsky's going to hurt Montana, right? I think Montana De La Rosa definitely goes three rounds here. Lipsky's no way Lipsky's going to hurt her. Now, could Lipsky have some volume and maybe tag her a little bit and maybe have you know Montana bleeding a little bit, um, showing some of the wear and tear, or even you know, winning around, yeah, probably. But I think Montana De La Rosa is the physically stronger fighter. She's been in there with better competition. I think if she fights the same way that she fought against Bueno Silva in this fight, 
against Lipsky, she'll win. She'll win. She'll be busy enough. She'll get some takedowns. And if she gets Lipsky to the ground, that's it. It's game over. Lipsky makes some of the silliest decisions on the ground. I think Montana's live here for a potential submission at some point. So, yeah, I'm on Montana De La Rosa, the American. Now, her, her numbers here, according to Vegas, are a little high. Um, again, I went back and forth in this fight, but she's a minus 250 favorite. That is a little bit high. What I'll be doing here is I'll be parlaying uh, De La Rosa in a few smaller parlays, um, and I probably will be betting her straight up. I don't think Lipsky is even a live dog. Okay, so if you're looking at this like a situation where Lipsky at, you know, plus 195 and possibly a live dog, you're going to be regretting that as soon as you see De La Rosa get her down for the first time. And I can see De La Rosa taking her down early in round one, grinding Lipsky, Lipsky balling up, not having any defense. And, you know, again, remember, Lipsky has some real fighter IQ issues, which can really, those, those issues can present themselves at any time. Okay, so... Once again, we're on Montana De La Rosa. Good luck with this one. This is going to be an interesting fight. Maquan Americani versus Kamuela Kirk. Now, before I start getting into the numbers here and who we're favoring, if you haven't had the pleasure of seeing Maquan Americani's tabology photo, his profile photo, I'm going to tell you to um, stop what you're doing, unless it's important, and check it out. And uh, if you're not able to check it out, I'll just describe it as one of the smoothest, most GQ uh, cover photos you're going to see. Um, it actually inspired me to think about maybe doing like a profile fighters photo of the week who has the dopest, most, I don't know, I don't know, the best photo of the week. Because if we were doing it for this week, Makwan Americani wins. He wins fighter profile photo of the week, the month, heck the year. Uh, he's got like four blondes kind of drope, you know, draped on him. He's dressed all GQ, giving like a GQ model look in this in this photo. He's got gambling chips on the table. There's martini glasses flowing. Um, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is funny. Anyway, let me get into this um, particular fight. It's the first fight of the night. And there's some interesting factoids here. I'm actually going to you know, shift gears and start talking first about Kamwella Kirk. Um, I'll tell you, I'm on Kamwella Kirk. I'm, um, I think this is a typical dogger pass type of situation here. If you're going to bet this fight, Americani at negative 300, he's around there, minus 300. Just, I don't know, there's not a lot of value there for me. I, it doesn't, I think that's way, way, way too high. And I do think Kirk can win the fight. I'm going to explain to you why I think he could do that. First things first about Mr. Kirk, he fought two weeks ago, and this is his third fight of 2021. So yeah, third fight in like five months, um, super active fighter. And if you start thinking to yourself, well, that's crazy. Maybe he's gotten some, you know, bumps and bruises. I'll tell you, he doesn't. The first fight we're going to go back to uh, was two weeks ago. He fought Daniel Swain. Daniel Swain is not a very good fighter. Um, he beat the heck out of him so much in the first two rounds that Daniel Swain did not come out after the second round. So it's a TKO's easy win. Kirk did not take any damage. He was very dominant. And you can't take a lot from that fight other than the fact that Swain was a lower level fighter. And when Kirk faced a lower level fighter, he clearly separated himself. So that's kind of, if you could just chalk that up as something to have in the back of your head. Um, next fight we'll go back to was in January, which was against a gentleman named Guillermo. Uh, fought him in January, um, Guillermo Santos. And um, 
that was again a, a very low level fighter um way below the level of uh, of kirk and kirk you know dominated him tko very easy finish wasn't a close fight um then we're gonna go back to about a year ago he fought bruno silva he fought silva close match went three rounds it really could have gone either way that really could have been a win it was a split decision loss um but if you look back at the fight it was close neither fighter got hurt the fight was on the on their feet the entire time which was a big mistake um on the part of kirk looking back you know i'm sure he would admit he probably should have looked at least get one takedown or so he was fighting a karate style brazilian guy and if you know anything about those guys they're, they're not ground people they're not on the ground they're not wrestling they just want to stand their feet you know like they're like a, a machito type of fighter a lot of kicking striking a lot of movement and so Kirk fell into that and maybe as a young fighter, you know, he's only 27, maybe he's learning a little bit to, he's got to stick to what works for him. So possibly taking people down, if that's there, he needs to utilize that when it's an option. And then going way back to his first opportunity to get in the USC, UFC, he was in a contender series and he lost to Billy Quarantillo. And if you know anything about Billy Quarantillo, he's, he's a very good fighter. Well, I shouldn't say very good, but he's, he's good. He's good. He's definitely above average. He's, you know, he's making his moves right now. So he lost to him. He kind of was ahead in that fight. So it was a boo-boo on his part, but he's worked his way back in here. Now he's coming back around here as his, as his second, basically, opportunity in the UFC. I think he looks good. He's got like this Conor McGregor type of fighting style. Um, he's got even the beard. It's weird. He, he's, he looks a little bit like Conor McGregor. I'm just going to say it out there. And I'm not a big Conor McGregor fan, but the guy's a pretty good fighter, right? So... It's not a bad comparison. Um, I'm on Kirk. I think he comes in here. I think he starts the night off and he upsets Americani. And I'm going to tell you why. On top of the fact that I like this guy's activity, on top of the fact that I like that he's dominating lower level opponents, I do think him and Americani are like right at the same level, right? But Americani's 32 years old. He's fought enough fighters where we kind of know exactly who he is. I think Kirk at 27 is still making that that jump to be, well not jump, he's still making that progression to becoming the fighter he is. So the next five years, Kirk will be wherever he's going to be in his career. And that's where sort of Americani's at in his sort of his fighting path. He's 32 now. We know a little bit more about Americani because he's fought some better fighters. He's fought guys that we know. He's fought guys like Barbosa. He's fought guys like Burgos. He's fought guys like Allen. And he's lost to all those guys. Now, that's not bad. Barbosa, look at Barbosa now. He's doing great. So, you know, losing to guys like Barbosa, losing to guys like Burgos and Allen, that what that told me when I started looking at Maquan Americani and I watched those fights, it showed me that you know what? A decision loss to Barbosa, that's a quality loss. But that means that Americani is a level below. That wasn't a close loss. He clearly lost the fight. Matter of fact, he got knocked down clean twice in that fight. But he showed why he's not a you know a terrible fighter. He had survivor skills. He showed a good chin. He recovered. He's a, he's a he's a prototypical gatekeeper in this division. He's a guy you could throw out there in front of any young guy. He's going to give a good fight. He's active. But what he showed me when he lost to Shane Burgos, and when he showed me when he lost to Arnold Allen, I mean split decision loss to Arnold Allen. Keep that in mind. Again, close fights. So he's you know he's fighting well against these good guys, but he's just a step below. He has no KO power though in his hands. So when you have fought enough fights 
like he has fought, and we've seen Maquan Americani fight some good guys, we can see when he wins a fight, it's by decision or it's usually by some kind of a submission. But he's not knocking anyone out. Now, does he have a knockout in his record back in his record? Yeah, back maybe in 2015 or something like that. He's got a, a knee, a flying knee. He knocks someone out. But ultimately, if he's going to beat you, especially when we're getting at a higher level in this division, it's going to be a decision, okay, or a submission. I think he's fighting a very live dog here in Kirk. I think this fight, the numbers should be way closer. And if the numbers were closer, maybe I would be considering placing a wager more on Americani. But it's too tempting. At the plus 240, I think <laughs> I think after round one, we're all going to see that, wow, this is actually going to be a pretty close fight. And if you were on Americani or if you were parlaying Americani, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, there goes my parlays right off the rip. So, you know, I'm definitely not betting Americani. I think this is a prototypical dogger pass. You know, if you if you look at the fighter history, I think the only way you're you're on Americani is because you're thinking to yourself, he's fought much better fighters, he's got much more experience, he's active, um, and that's it. But I think the experience is neutralized by an up and coming fighter who's, you know, motivated. He knows this is an opportunity right here in front of him. If you watch some of his recent fights, He's hungry. This is his third fight this year. I mean, I don't know how else he could tell you that he wants to fight. He's active. He's motivated. Um, I mean, it's only June. It's going to be June 5th. So it's likely he will fight maybe once or twice more again this year. Um, like, you know, that's crazy. But in any case, that also shows you how dominant he has been in his win. So, all right, I'm going to say it again. We're, we're on Camilla Kirk. Okay, the next fight in the main card is a middleweight bout featuring Tom Breeze of England against Antonio Arajo of Brazil. Now, Tom Breeze is 29 years old, 6'3", with a 73.5-inch reach. Arajo is 31 years old, same measurables, 6'3", with a 73.5-inch reach. Arajo's 9-4, and, and Tom Breeze is 12-3. and three. So they have about the same octagon time experience. Let's go ahead and take a look first here at Tom Breeze. Breeze is coming off of a round two arm triangle choke loss to Amari Akhmedov. Now, Akhmedov is a decent fighter. He's 25 and 1. 20, meaning 20 wins, 5 losses, and 1 draw. He's by no means a top level fighter, but he made Tom Breeze look terrible in this fight. He grinded Tom Breeze up on the ground. He had top position for most of the fight. Eventually, obviously, moved into a submission position and submitted Tom Breeze. So not a good look for Tom Breeze, just not a good night for him, and so he gets the loss. The fight prior to that, Breeze beat KB Bueller, and I'm I'm gonna get right to the point. KB Bueller should not be the UFC, not a good fighter, just not good. Uh, he got a round one win. He hit KB Bueller with a pretty good shot, pretty much, I mean, it was a jab, okay? It was a jab, I mean, it was a nice hard jab, but you know, that shows you how, how bad KB Bueller is. Tom Breeze jabs the guy. The guy goes down from a jab, and then, you know, Tom jumps on top of him and beats him. Nice-looking win, but, again, I don't know how quality of a win that is. And then before that, his prior MMA fight was against Brendan Allen, and he got finished in round one via ground and pound. So, yeah, he got finished within the first two rounds in his last four fights, lost a decision via points in a grappling bout against Frederick Vosgran. That was just a grappling bout. And the one win he has in the last four fights was against KB Bueller, which I don't know how valuable that win is. So that's Tom Breeze coming into this fight.
if you look at those fights, you're going to see some awkward stuff. Tom Breeze, you know, puts himself in bad positions, gives up his back a lot, you know, doesn't make very good decisions overall in the ring, displays a lot of low fighter IQ. All right, let's talk a little bit about Antonio Arroyo. His last fight is like a comedy. He literally fights a guy who's like five foot six. You heard what I said. He fights a guy who's five foot six, and Antonio Arroyo is six foot three. So you can imagine what this looks like. I vividly remember wagering in the fight, and I had placed a wager on Arroyo. I thought to myself, a six foot three guy, decent fighter. You know, I'm not saying whatever, he's great, but decent fighter, decent build fighting a guy like Deron Wynn, who's like pretty much strictly a wrestler, you know, very little experience. Well, you guessed it. Deron Wynn comes in there and gets a decision. And Deron Wynn takes him down for three rounds. Antonio doesn't have the uh, skill set to get up off the ground, doesn't have the cardio either, which was really bad. So his cardio looks awful. He can't get up. He loses an ugly fight. I remember at the end of the fight, after they raised Deron Wynn's hand, both fighters like stood by each other and like gave each other a hug. It looked like Deron Wynn was like his little brother. Like it looked like Antonio Arroyo was like hugging his little brother. It was just ridiculous. So didn't like that fight for Arroyo. Just was like, man, that did not look good. Uh, his prior fight, he lost a decision against Andre Munez. You know, that was an ugly fight. It was back in 2019. You know, um, Andre Munez is an okay fighter. You know, he's 18 and four. He's doing okay. I'm sorry, 21 and four now. He's on a bit of a winning streak, um, but he's an underwhelming fighter, kind of always looking for submissions, nothing special, but, you know, Arroyo lost that fight by decision. And anything before that's just not anything of quality, nothing of notice. So, all right, getting back to this matchup here, Tom Breeze versus Arroyo. I think what happens here, okay, I think Tom Breeze is able to outmuscle Arroyo against the cage, maybe get a takedown, um, Arroyo does not like the ground. If you get him on the ground, it's over. I think it goes decision because both these guys are just, you know, they're questionable fighters. They don't have a lot of killer instinct. They don't have a lot of finishing ability. You know, I, I see both these guys, you know, play, playing a very boring game plan, maybe a little cautious at times. It goes decision. And if it goes to the end of the fight, you know, that's going to be a problem for Arroyo because he never seems to have good conditioning, right? So he has gotten decision in his last two losses against Deron Wynn and Munez. But he did not look good towards the end. He looked tired. So I see the same kind of thing happening here where, you know, if Tom Breeze can just have a decent game plan, you know, and kind of keep moving forward, he's probably going to get himself in a good position to be ahead in points and get the win. So not going to be an exciting fight. I'm going to be on Breeze here. He's he's a pretty big favorite at minus 240. Arayo's 188 underdog. I like the dogs. You know me. I'm the first one to go ahead and, and, and point out a dog or pass situation or a dog I like a lot. But I don't know how in the world could you bet on Arroyo at any point. I, I couldn't bet at him on any situation. I shouldn't say any situation. Maybe if he was like a really, really big underdog, then maybe I would probably put a sprinkle there. But otherwise, I just don't see it. Um, could Breeze lose the fight? Could Breeze like do something really silly here and then Arroyo gets ahead or something? Maybe. But I think Arroyo's cardio issues are just too, too much to overcome. Once that fight gets past one and a half rounds or so, he's going to be pretty much useless. Tom Breeze, as long as he just sticks to some kind of a basic game plan, gets the win. So that's around the fight. We're on Tom Breeze. Dusko Todorovic of Serbia versus Gregory Rodriguez of Brazil. And at first glance, these guys are very similar. Uh, Dusko's coming in here 10 and 1, fighting out of Serbia. Gregory's coming in here 9 and 3, fighting out of Brazil. Dusko, six foot one. 
Gregory's got a slight height advantage at six foot three. Dusko's got a 74 inch reach, and Gregory has a 76 inch reach. Now, some bullet points here on Gregory Rodriguez. This guy is a very, very active fighter. This will be his third fight in 2021, and he literally fought a week ago. Yes, you heard that right. He fought a week ago against Josh Fremd to win the LFA championship. Prior to that, he fought in January against Al Mataveo. I'm not going to waste your time with those fights. Um, he won both those fights within the first two rounds by TKO. They were not very good opponents. He was able to dominate the competition. So wasn't really a good measure to see, you know, where he would be at against tougher competition. But he's very active. You know, he's he's obviously not taking much punches in those fights against lower level fighters. He's dominating those guys. Now let's go over to Dusko. Dusko Todorovic has some chin issues, and um, they're pretty glaring. If you look at his last fight, he had a round one loss to Sariano Punahele, and that was a fight where he gets hurt initially. Like, he gets hurt a little bit. Dusko takes a punch, and it happens. You know, you get a little stunned, and he just never could quite get back, you know, his rhythm, can get back to, you know, on his feet per se. He was getting sloppy. He's got a long neck, and his head just sort of really sticks up there and is like a big big target he doesn't do great on defense his head movement is so 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 you know i i thought that fight against soriano displayed something that's going to be a real issue for him moving forward now he hasn't fought a lot of competition right he's only 10 and 1 so that was his first loss i think coming in here against gregory rodriguez um he's going to have some problems not only can rodriguez possibly hurt him and clip him in terms of a punch rodriguez is built this guy's like in really, really good shape. Um, I think he can grab Dusko, get him up against the fence. I think he can manhandle him, bring him to the ground. Three rounds at some point, he's probably going to hurt him. So, yeah, I'm on Rodriguez right here. You know, looking at looking at the numbers, I think this is a free underdog gimme. You know, Rodriguez is plus 140 against Todorovic, who's minus 177. I just think the numbers are wrong on this. Um, you know, one factor could be is that you know, Gregory's coming in here as, you know, a last minute kind of thing, you know, replacement, whatever the case may be. Look, I think Gregory is is a decent fighter. I'm not saying he's the best fighter in the world, but he's a decent fighter. He's very, very strong. If you look at some of his prior fights, this guy is built. He's in good shape. He's strong. And again, Dusko's, you know, Dusko's got, we already know his kryptonite. You, he cannot take a punch. If you hit him in the head, you hit him one time good. He gets sloppy. He gets all over the place. So, yeah, got Gregory here as an underdog in Santiago Ponsonibio out of Argentina fighting Miguel Baeza of the United States. Santiago is 27 and 4, 34 years old, 6 feet tall with a 73-inch reach. Baeza out of the United States is 28 years old, 6 foot 2 with a 74 and a half inch reach. Now, I do want to highlight the age real quick. 34 years old versus 28. That's not the biggest difference in the world. But when you consider that Santiago has fought 20, 30, 31 fights in his career. Okay. He's fought a lot of fights. He's 27 and four. He's coming off of a recent loss to Jin Liang Li. Um, and that was a bad loss. He lost in round one. It was a left hook. You know, he just got a little caught off guard. Lee's a decent fighter, so I'm not taking anything away from Lee, but um, it was an ugly loss. And what I think you're starting to see here with Santiago is you're starting to see that reaction time. Um, 
diminish. And I think that's one of the big things that goes. Like Tony Ferguson recently watching his fights, like, you know, Cowboy Cerrone. It's, the chin is one of the factors. Of course, the chin is one of the big factors, but it's also reaction time. You know, when they were younger, they were seeing that punch. They were seeing that kick quicker. They were able to react. They were able to brace themselves or make a block or do something. Now that punch is getting through guard or that kick is getting through and hitting them. And that's what I saw when I watched the fight against uh, Lee. Now, on top of that, another big issue with Santiago is he's fought like three fights in the last, you know, four years or so. And I'm not kidding. Like, he fought Mike Perry in 2017, and he beat Mike Perry by decision. That was a nice win, probably one of the biggest wins in his entire resume. After that fight, he fought Neil Magny in 2018. He won that fight as well, probably his second biggest win on his resume. And then he didn't fight again for three years. Okay, he had some injuries and whatnot. He comes back, he fights Jingliang Li in January of this year and just get left hooked, looks out of place, doesn't look good. Looks like maybe these three-year layoff was not good for him and maybe the sport has passed him by. Now here comes on in Miguel Baeza. Now, from a lot of intensive purposes, when you look at Miguel Baeza, he's impressive. He's coming in here with a lot of momentum. He's 28 years old. He's 10 and 0. And so, you know, he's got the steam, right? He's got the momentum. But he hasn't fought anybody. Okay. Like, I want to emphasize he has not fought anyone. Now, I'm going to look closely at the last two fights. He fought Sato back in uh, November of last year, Takashi Sato. Sato's an okay fighter. You know, nothing, nothing very impressive. Japanese fighter. He's 16 and four. He's lost two of his last three fights. You know, he lost to Bilal Muhammad and, and he lost to Baeza. So, you know, he's okay. The only good thing there for Baeza is that he went out there and he dominated, right? Round two, triangle choke. He got Sato out of there. Easy night for him. The fight before that is what really gives me some pause on Baeza. He fought Matt Brown. And you look first at the fight and you're like, oh, round two, left hook. He wins the fight, pretty light work, right? Look at Matt Brown. Matt Brown's 22 and 18. Yeah, dude's fought 40 fights and he's like 50-50. Okay, so like if you look at Matt Brown, Matt Brown has lost one, two, three, four, five, five of his last seven fights, okay? So he's like just barely hanging on to whatever career he's having, okay? And when you look at the Baeza fight versus Matt Brown, there's a moment in the first round where Baeza gets hurt he gets hurt he looks tired you're like uh oh what's going on here and so it happens and you're kind of like you know you're wondering what's going on here because at one point he's beating up matt brown Baeza lands a few shots he looks good and then there's just like a cardio dump he looks tired he takes a few shots he's trying to block the shots but he's like not really moving his head so he's doing that thing where he's like holding his hand up he's trying to block the shots on his feet but he's not doing a good job and Matt Brown is landing elbows and like cracking him. And um, 22 and 18, Matt Brown is looking good. Like this first round is now turning into a really close first round. They go to the corner, they come out. Baeza comes out and he's able to catch him. You know, the, the rest between rounds was big for Baeza. He comes out and he kind of squares up, you know, gets his stuff together and goes ahead and catches Matt Brown and, and TKOs him and, and all's well, ends well, right? All I'm saying is I saw a cardio issue there with Baeza. I didn't like it. It was a little scary. He's only 10-0. He's still very immature in the ring, like in terms of like having, you know, no experience. When I say immature, I don't mean like he's, you know, he's being like a little kid. I just mean that he doesn't have the, the ring experience. He needs time in the ring. 
I need to see more from him before I can bet on him with a lot of confidence. But in this fight right here, you know, I think he's quick enough, he's powerful enough, and Santiago is just old enough that uh, he has the advantage. So I'm going to go with Baeza here. He's a slight favorite at minus 134, and that's probably about right. Um, though I am betting with, with some confidence, I do think that he has enough here. Like, even if he gets a tiny bit tired at some point, or maybe takes a punch, I feel like he's strong enough, young enough, and hopefully he's been preparing, you know, well enough for this fight that he can come on, come in here, continue to make another step forward. So I'm on bias at the minus 134. I'll be on him as an individual pick uh, to wager on him. And I'll be on him as a parlay pick. In terms of a prop, you know, a KO prop for Baeza is not a bad idea. Um, I could I could definitely see him, you know, knocking out Santiago. This might be it for Santiago. Maybe a bad knockout loss for him might, you know, send him out of the UFC, might make him uh, reconsider fighting moving forward. So that's where we're at. All right. Next up on the card, we've got a middleweight bout. Roman Dialitsa from Georgia versus Lariano Starpoli of Argentina. Now, let's start off with Roman Dialitsa. He's 8-1. He's coming in here off of a loss where he fought recently against uh, Trevin Giles. Now, if you saw that fight, if you were betting on Roman Dalitza, it was frustrating, um, and I was. Um, I thought Dalitza won the fight, so it was weird. You know, I thought he had some ground control opportunities that were, were, were there that looked good, but the judges saw it differently, and they sided with Trevin Giles. So that was Roman Dalitza's first loss. And um, I will say this, you know, one of the biggest issues with Dialitza, it's one of the issues of preventing him from maybe taking the jump to the next level, his fighter IQ. At times, like, he, he will leave a position for a submission. And obviously, that's that's a phrase, right? You don't take submission over position. You got to keep your position. In this fight, at one point, he was on top of Trevin Giles, like, physically standing over him. And instead, he just falls back and goes for, like, a heel, a heel hook. He loves the heel hooks. He's got a few heel hooks in his past, and he goes for them way too often. So that can be frustrating. If he had to do that fight over again, maybe instead of in that moment falling for a heel hook that ends up being nothing, you guys end up on your feet, get on top of Trevin, you know, get good position, get side control, try to do some ground and pound. So one of the big issues I've found with Roman is, you know, sometimes his decision-making isn't the best. Now, going back to the fight before Trevin Giles, he wins a split decision over John Allen. And, you know... John Allen's an okay fighter. You know, he, he's, you know, he's okay. He's a middling fighter. He's at 13 and six. But so looking at those last two fights, like, you know, he loses a close fight against Giles and then he wins a close fight against, you know, John Allen. You know, so that kind of gets you like thinking like, all right, you know, what's this guy doing? Is he, is he really pushing enough tempo? Is he trying to get the win? My hope is that these recent fights have, have possibly taught him a lesson. You know, Roman is a young fighter. He's still only 32 years old. He's only fought nine total fights. So hopefully he's learned a lesson from this and could take that into this fight. Now let's talk a little bit about Starpoli. Starpoli is coming off of two straight losses. He lost a decision to Tim Means and he lost a decision to Muslim to Muslim Solikov. That's one thing that popped out here to me about Starpoli. He's gone to decision in his last four fights. Why is that? I think a big part of it is he doesn't have finishing power. Okay, so... He doesn't have the ability to knock somebody out. He throws some nice combinations at times, seems to get a little tired, but just doesn't have a lot of sting on his punches. And then if you look back over his entire career, he doesn't have any submissions either. Okay, now early on in his career, he got some KOs. 
that's typical when you're fighting real low-level fights um, against low-level fighters. He has not fought anyone super notable. Tim Means was the first guy that he fought that was notable. And Tim pretty much walked through him, took whatever Starpoli was throwing, but threw harder shots back at Starpoli. The one thing Starpoli does have is a decent chin. Okay, he showed that against Tim Means. He could take some shots. He took some shots against Muslim Salikov. Um, in that fight, Salikov had like a spinning back kick that hit that hit uh, Starpoli pretty much right in the head. And Starpoli was able to deal with it and keep moving. So in this fight, Delita probably gets a win by decision. He's going to probably take Starpoli down a few times, do some silly things, go for some heel hooks, which he shouldn't be doing. But eventually will win the fight by position control and being able to take him to the ground. Um, one more thing that Roman does, Roman Delita does well as, as well, is he does have a lower leg kick uh, that when if, when he's doing it, when he's throwing it, when he's actually concentrating on it, is pretty heavy kick. It could do some damage. Again, though, I wish he would use it more often. It, it goes to his fighter IQ. But anyway, just to put a bow on this fight, going with Delita, he's the favorite here. He's a minus one fifty favorite. Starpoli is plus one twenty. Not surprised it's so close. Um, these guys are similar. You know, they're, they're very similar. Almost the same age, almost the same stature, almost the same fighter experience. I do think Delita, though, has the power advantage, you know, physically the power advantage. So when they get in the clinch, if he can get the underhooks, he's going to take down, you know, Starpoli, probably win that aspect of the fight. So even if it goes decision, which I do think it does go decision, Delita comes out with like a 29 to 28 victory, maybe even a 30 to 27 victory. All right, next up is the co-main event featuring the heavyweights, Walt, the big ticket Harris versus Marcin Tybur Tybura. Now, just quick note on Walt Harris. Um, if you're not aware of the, the loss that him and his family suffered in 2019, um, on our second episode of Caged Animals this past weekend, we published an episode titled Gone But Not Forgotten, which chronicles the loss of Anaya Blanchard, uh, Walt Harris's daughter, um, he lost her to an unfortunate um, murder in the fall of 2019. So heavy heart for the Walt Harris, Walt Harris family and always thinking about them and rooting for the guy. You know, So as we get down to this breakdown, I will say that I'm, I'm very biased. I, I, I always want to see Walt Harris do well, his family, um, in and out of the ring. right? So, Okay, Walt Harris is the American. He's coming into this fight 13-9. Facing off against Marcin Tybura Tybura, who's 21 and 6. Now, Walt Harris is the older fighter by only two years. He's 37. Marcin is 35. Harris is 6 foot 5 with an 81 inch reach. And Tybura is 6 foot 3 with a 78 inch reach. So, Harris has a slight reach advantage and a slight height advantage. Let's look closely here at some of uh, Tybura's recent fights. He's coming in here on a bit of a fight winning streak. He's on a four fight winning streak, with his last loss being back in 2019 to Augusta Sakai. I went back and I looked at that fight. It was a while ago. It was 2019. That was not a good loss. Okay. That's the kind of loss that hopefully um, Tybura could really put in the rear view. It looks like he has because it was a while ago and he has four wins since then. But that was a loss that didn't look good. Um, Sakai beat him up quick, fast. It was round one. You know, he kind of stunned uh, Tybura with a with a punch, but then what was really bad was that he got Tybura up against the fence, kind of held him with one hand, punched him with the other hand, and just got a real easy TKO. So it wasn't wasn't a great look. And during that time, Tybura had a streak where he was he had lost four fights out of five. He had lost to Werdum, he lost to Lewis, he lost to, he lost to Abrahimov, 
He lost to Sakai, and he had one win to Strove in between all that. So, you know, that was back in 2017 and 2019. So he's kind of having a resurgence now, right? From 2020 to now, he's had wins over Hardy, Rothwell, Grishin, and Spivak. And you look at those names, you're like, okay, Greg Hardy, eh, whatever. Ben Rothwell, okay. You know, Maxine Grisham, okay. And Sergey Spivak, okay. Those are all fights that you should win if you're Tybura, if you're trying to become a legit contender, right? So he kind of should win those fights. And you look back, how did he win those fights? Well, he did beat up Greg Hardy enough to get a round two win and finished it in the round two. But Greg Hardy is not good, not good for anything after round one and a half anyway. So after round one and a half for Greg Hardy, he's going to gas out and lose by not really a TKO. He, he lost by exhaustion. Okay, He was just tired. If you look at the fight, he was just tired. He didn't want to keep fighting. That was the end of that. So... Looking at Ben Rothwell, Maxine Grisham, Sergey Spivak, um, Ty Burrow couldn't finish any of those guys. Those were all decisions, okay? So not a great look. Headweight fighter getting a bunch of decisions in recent fights kind of makes you question, does he have knockout power? So let, let's get over to Walt Harris. I'm rooting for Walt Harris. I want to see the guy do well. I think that after his win to Alexei, Alexei Olenek back in 2019, July of 2019, he gets a flying knee. He beats Alexei Olenek. It looks pretty good. Man, the fight before that, he beat Sergey Spivak. You know, so he had those two wins in a row. But Sergey Spivak and Olenek, man, those guys are just, you know, those guys are not super impressive, not really great fighters. And the 2000, that 2019 win against Alexei Olenek was the last time that Walt Harris registered a win. And it was unfortunately the last time that he also won prior to losing his daughter it would be a few months later that he would lose his daughter some people have said in the, in the industry that he's not the same fighter since then that he doesn't have um something's just not there and you look at the two fights that he has had since he lost his daughter he's lost both fights he lost a round two just grounded pound very underwhelming terrible look against overeem in uh, May of 2020, that was about a year ago. You know, that was coming up about six, seven months after the news of his daughter, after the passing of his daughter. Everyone was rooting for him. You got Overeem, who's like over the hill, and like you know, pretty much everyone's counting him out. And Overeem comes in there and just like dominates him. Um, Harris looks exhausted. He looks a little out of shape. So you know, it makes sense. You start thinking he's got a lot going on in his personal life. Maybe he couldn't focus and have a great camp was hope maybe coming in here hoping that i'm fighting overeem this guy's not that good i can get this win easy not the case overeem reminds everyone that you know he's still he's still in the heavyweight division and he was a fighter for a reason so not a good loss didn't look good a lot of questions there so the next fight comes out about five months later in october of 2020 he fights alexander volkov and you know volkov's a decent contender um you look at his record he hasn't beat anybody notable but he's a decent contender. He's a tall guy, heavy kicks, um, pretty good volume, pretty good cardio. In round two, he has a simple straight leg kick that lands in the middle of Harris's like lower abdomen, like right right around his belly button. It wasn't you know low to the point where it hit him in the groin, but lower stomach kick, and it didn't look like much at first. But Harris just keels over in discomfort, pain, like maybe he got the wind knocked out of him. Or maybe just hit him in the perfect spot. It was very painful. He keels over, bends over, and Volkov comes over and lands a few strikes. And they just, you know, stop the fight right there. Didn't look good. 
Harris came in in maybe better shape than he was against Overeem, so that was a good sign. But he still looked a little gassed at the end of like round one. He didn't look tremendous. And so a lot of questions here about Harris. Um, maybe he never recovers. Maybe he never regains the fighting you know, stature that he had before all this, before the loss of his daughter. Maybe it's just going to be that way. Um, I think he needs to get in better shape. You know, looking at the fight against Alexander Volkov, the announcers were saying that he was in better shape. I, I, I didn't see that. In my eyes, he looks like he was carrying too much weight around the midsection. He, you know, his cardio was not great after the, at the end of round one. And, um, yeah, you know, so I'm always rooting for the guy. But in this particular fight right here, I've got to I've gotta go where where the, the numbers and the facts are telling me to go towards. I see an advantage for Tybura. I think this goes the distance, and if it goes the distance, Ty Burrow is going to get the win because round three is going to be his. Harris will be exhausted. Second half of round two will be his easily as well. So, like half the fight goes to ha goes to Ty Burrow right away just because of cardio issues. You know, if Ty Burrow could just land a few punches and get a takedown in round one, or land a few punches and get some takedowns in round two, maybe even look, maybe Harris even wins round one. But if Ty Burrow gets out of round one, he wins wins round two and three easily. Maybe even gets a finish in round three because I just question Walt Harris's, you know, cardio. So I'm on Ty Burrow. He's the slight favorite at minus 177. Harris is the underdog at plus 140. But uh, I like Ty Burrow. I like him um, as, a, as an individual pick. I like him as a parlay piece as well. So tough to go against my guy Harris. Always wishing him the well. You know, hey, maybe, he's, maybe he proved me wrong and obviously upsets, you know, my prediction here. But I, I think Ty Burrow is going to be the, the safe bet here. All right, we're on to the main event featuring two heavyweights, Jarzinho Rosenstrike fighting out of Suriname versus Augusto Sakai from Brazil. Another Brazilian fighter, right? All right, Jarzinho, he's six foot four with a 78-inch reach, 33 years young. Augusto Sakai is 30 years old with a six foot three height and a 77 inch reach. So reach wise, it's almost the same. Jarzinho has a one inch reach advantage and height wise, it says Jarzinho is six foot four. But I'll tell you what, look back at Jarzinho's fight against uh, Gone, right? I look back at that fight. Cyril Gone is six foot four and they list Jarzinho as six foot four. Well, when you watch the fight, uh, Cyril Gone is like three inches taller than Jarzinho. So I don't think Jarzinho is six foot four. Just saying. I don't think it's a big deal, but just saying. Okay, let's keep on Jarzinho here. Let's bet, look back at some of his recent fights. Okay, he went ahead and lost to Cyril Gan by decision, and that fight was just boring. That was a five round heavyweight fight, and you got that right. It went to decision. Five rounds of boring heavyweight action or lack thereof. I thought. Jarzinho just didn't show any push of tempo, did not want to create any action. You know, he was constantly looking for a counterpunch, looking for that typical one punch to do some damage. Now, he was never hurt. Jarzinho was never hurt. Cyril Gaon never did anything special. Gaon just got ahead in points, you know, got a takedown, you know, did the right things, got ahead in points, but never had any killer instinct either. So it was five rounds of lackluster heavyweight action. I didn't really learn a lot from Jarzinho in that fight other than the fact that, you know, he needs to know when to push tempo. Um, like he needs to understand, hey, it's, you know, round three, we're halfway through the fight. I haven't won a round. Um, you know, I need to use my power. I need to push some tempo here. So that was, you know, not a great experience. Maybe he came in too cautious. Maybe he thought he was ahead for some reason in the fight. But yeah, very underwhelming performance. 
the fight prior to that, which was in um, August of last year, he fought Junior Dos Santos and he knocked him out in round two with a hook. You know, Santos is past his prime. Uh, his reaction time is down. It was a nice win for Jarzinho, but a win that he should have gotten. And look, Junior Dos Santos is going to get knocked out by any decent heavyweight at this point in his career. So, okay win for him, but nothing that was super impressive. It's what he should have done. And the way he treated Dos Santos and the way he walked down Dos Santos is the way he should have gone at Gane. I, you know, he just, he didn't do it. Now, those two fights, the one thing that came out to me was that Jorginho has a tendency to start off very, very slow. Like when he comes out, he's never going to rush you. He's going to come out, measure the distance, you know, all the way up through the first round. He'll do that through the whole first round. He'll throw a few jabs. He won't throw many, many total punches or kicks at all. He'll just sort of measure the distance, get settled in, feel it out. Maybe that's part of his game plan. So when you go back to the Francis Ngannou fight, he fought Ngannou back in May of 2020. So that was about a year ago, okay? He loses in the first, like, 20 seconds of round one by a brutal knockout. But it makes sense, right? Jarzinho starts off very slow. He's trying to, like, measure everything. And here you got Francis Ngannou, the bull, who's like, you know what? I'm trying to get this thing done here in the first, like, 30 seconds. I want to get my bonus. I don't want to go to round two and three. I have had cardio issues. Let's get this thing done. So Nagano just comes out and starts swinging at him. And Jarzinho is backing up, like trying to back up to avoid the punches. And, of course, that's just not a great technique. He's not going side to side. He's just backing up. And eventually, as he's backing up, Francis just clocks him. And it's a one-punch knockout. That's it. 20 seconds, round one. End of story. So, you know, prior to that victory, Jarzinho has beat guys like Arlovsky and Overeem and Crowder and Albini and McCarthy and, you know, He's got some okay wins. So, you know, he was on a roll there until these last, you know, three fights that he lost against Gane, lost against Nganu. Maybe the Nganu, like, knockout was so rough for him that when he got in there against Gane, he was seeing, like, looking at Cyril Nganu and thinking, like, that's Nganu too. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so th this is an important fight for Jarzinho. You know, he needs to get back in the win column. I think he needs to adjust his his attack i think he needs to be a little more aggressive i think you know he needs to change his game plan a little bit they got to have him come in there i know he's got to be a little more aggressive you know he's got to push the pace more so you know that's where we're at on, on rosen strike now as for augusta sakai you know he's coming off of a loss to of all people Overeem. okay so here's Overeem again surprising people you think he's done Overeem is 46 and 18 let me double check that yeah I'm sorry, Overeem is 47 and 19. My gosh, these guys fought like 50, 60 fights. My goodness, it's crazy. Like 60, almost 70 fights, almost 70 fights. Anyway, yeah, so Sakai lost Overeem, and it was a beat down, okay? I want to emphasize a beat down. This goes five rounds, right? It was a five-round heavyweight main card fight, Overeem versus Sakai. Sakai from, from round three to round five, Sakai was basically just getting meat grinded on the ground. And you're looking at the fight and you're like, what the heck am I watching? Like, where did Overeem like get so good at all this? Like Sakai was a decent, you know, contender coming in here. Like, you know, you're thinking, all right, you know, he, like he beat Tybura, like he beat Arlovsky, you know, he beat some people that were okay. 
but he just gets outclassed in this fight. Overeem just looks like a young Overeem. He's just beating the heck out of him. Sakai loses with like only a little bit of time left to go in the fifth round. You know, the, the, the referee steps in and just calls it because Overeem is just laying big elbows on him and beating him up. And so bad loss, bad loss for Sakai. He's coming into this fight off of that loss. Now, prior to that fight, if you want to look at something that's even more concerning, he wins a split decision against Blagoy Ivanov. And I'm not trying to take any shots at Blagoy. The dude's like came within inches of his life, was stabbed and robbed and hospitalized and had like, it almost died. You know, the guy's got an interesting story. But Blagoy Ivanov is not quite like top level UFC, top shelf heavyweight material. And Sakai beat him by a split decision. So, you know, Blagoy was able to get uh, Sakai to the ground. He was able to get him to the ground and pretty easily. And from there, he earned some points, got some position control. So it was a very underwhelming decision win for Sakai, who, you know, Sakai is a decision type of heavyweight champ or heavyweight fighter, I mean, which is not a good look. Like you're a heavyweight. You got to have some more power in your punches. You can't be going decision, but that's the most usual path to victory for Sakai. Now, Prior to the Blagoy fight, he's got the Marcin Tybura fight. If you're on Sakai and you're a, a Sakai supporter, you're you're maybe wage wagering on him, you're a fan, you're pointing to that Marcin Tybura fight and you're saying, look here, he's got power. He knocked him out. Round one, domination. Tybura right now is like coming out on a four-fight four winning streak himself. He looks pretty good. But, I, but watching that fight, I think what happens there, sometimes there's a flash in the pan. It was a little fluky. I think Tybura just... Thought he could take a punch or two that he couldn't take. Got out of position. Sakai, hey, good for him. Killer instinct. Jumped on it. Finished him. But maybe that was a wake-up call for Ty Brewer. Maybe he's now, you know, learned from that experience. And when you look at the rest of the resume for Sakai, you know, he doesn't have a lot of finishes by KO. Okay, that's not really his thing. What he does have is a lot of going almost the full distance of the fight or going to decision or split decisions and things like that. So... I question his power. I don't think he has great power. I definitely don't think he's good on the ground. Now, this fight, fortunately for him, probably stays on the feet because Jarzinho wants to stay on his feet. That's his preferred you know, point of attack. And for Sakai, same thing. Here's where I side significantly towards Jarzinho, and here's where I think he gets the win. I think from a lot of standpoints, it's somewhat equal like in terms of their experience, some of their weaknesses, they're both a little weak on the ground, you know, but the one area that's not even close is KO power. Rosenstrike has a gigantic advantage in KO power. Now, will Sakai throw more punches? Yeah. Will Sakai maybe even throw more leg kicks? Absolutely. Rosenstrike has a good leg, leg kick too, but this is a five-round fight. Sakai is going to have to survive for five rounds. I don't see that happening. I think within that 25 minutes, within that five rounds, Rosenstrike catches him at least one time and one time enough where Sakai will fully buckle and maybe a one-shot KO or just enough to then have Rosenstrike jump on top of him and get a TKO. So that's my prediction with this fight. I've got Rosenstrike by TKO. Um, it could be in the first round. It's not like it has to be late fourth or fifth round. Sakai doesn't necessarily have bad cardio. This could happen at any point in the fight you know jarzino's got pretty good cardio himself he measures his, his his energy level he's always looking for that punch he wants to counter he's going to be looking for that opportunity from the first 
minute the bell rings to the last bell. He's going to be live for someone who's going to knock out Sakai. I see him knocking him out. I just don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm on Rosenstrike. At minus 130, I think this is a little bit of a steal. Reminds me of the Nganu fight. When Nganu fought Stipe, um, or Stipe Miocic the second time, the numbers were like this. I remember Nganu was like a very slight favorite. I kept thinking to myself, like, it's a five-round fight. Like, I know Nganu's got questionable cardio, but, like, as long as he's in that ring for five rounds with Nganu, at any point Nganu could just hit him with a punch. I think this is the same scenario. I think Jarzinho is live to KO him at any point in the fight. If it was a three-round fight, maybe I would give Sakai a little bit more of a chance to win this fight. But five rounds, 25 minutes, no chance Sakai uh, could survive that long without taking a really, really big strike. And when he does, and it's coming from a guy like Jarzinho who's got a lot of power in his hands, I think it'll be too much for Sakai. I think he loses by TKO. But it should be an exciting fight. It's going to be heavyweights. Uh, ho fortunately, it does. hopefully it does not go the distance, right? We don't want to see the distance on, on a five-round heavyweight fight. So anyway, money's on Jarzinho. Okay, going to give a summary here of the entire fight card and the picks we like, uh, the picks we like more than others, and along with any prop bets that kind of stand out to us. I'm going to start with the main card and work my way back down to the prelims. So Rosenstrike versus Sakai. I'm on Rosenstrike to win this fight, and he's one of the bets that I really feel most confident about. So straight-up money line bet, minus 130, Rosenstrike. I like that position. It's one of my most confident positions of the entire card. In terms of a prop bet for this fight, I do not believe it goes the distance, so I think it's an under here for this fight, and I do see Rosenstrike ending the fight via TKO. It's a five-round fight, 25 minutes. At some point, I think he catches Sakai. So for a prop bet here, I do like Rosenstrike to get a TKO. Moving down to the co-main event, Tybura versus Harris. Um, I'm on Tybura here to win the fight, and Tybura has good cardio. Harris, questionable cardio, so there's a chance there that Tybura can squeak out a TKO. So I do not believe it goes a distance. I think the TKO prop is it's a good bet there on Tybura, and I think also the money line bet, straight up bet on Tybura, minus 177, is a good position to take. Moving down to Delita versus Starpoli. I'm on Delita to win the fight by decision. So decision bet there for Delita is a good prop bet. I do think it goes a distance. Minus 150 money line. Good bet there for Delita. Moving down to Baeza versus Pontanobio. This is the second fight of the night that I'm very, very strong about in terms of a straight up bet. Um, confidence in winning in terms of Baeza. I think Baeza wins this fight. Minus 134 straight up money line bet's good. Not so sure how he does it. Um, he's got a lot of power, so, you know, and Bontanobio has shown some, some chin issues recently, so possibly a prop bet at um, a TKO for Baeza. But I say the best way to just bet this fight is just to bet Baeza straight up money line minus 134, and I'm very confident. This is the second very, very confident pick uh, of the night that I have on this card. Moving down to Todorovic versus Rodriguez. Um, first dog here for us that we're going to take. Uh, we like Rodriguez here at plus 140. I think that um, Tadorovic has some chin issues. We talk a lot about it here in the breakdown. So on Rodriguez right here to get the win. No prop bets here. Just Rodriguez at plus 140 to win the fight. Um, I think it's a good value here. Move down to the last last fight here of the uh, main card. Or I'm sorry, first fight of the main card. It would be Tom Breeze versus Arroyo. Um, not very confident on this bet. But Ron Breeze to win the fight. A lot of questions here about fighter IQ on both guys. But, you know, at minus 240, not a lot of value. 
Um, probably not going to want to bet this fight too much. I, I don't even know how I would bet it. Maybe a parlay, not not with a lot of confidence, but Ron Brees to win the fight. Moving down to the prelim, Americani and Kirk is the main fight of the prelim fight. And uh, we discussed it earlier. You know, we joked around about Americani's profile pitcher, but minus 300 is just way too much to pay um, to see if you can get a win there. I think a dog or pass is a, is a good position to take here. Kirk is not a terrible fighter at plus 240, so we're going dog or pass there. If we're going to take any bets here, it's going to be on Kirk. Moving down to a women's bout, we're going to have Monta Montana De La Rosa versus Lipsky. And uh, this fight I went back and forth on, but ultimately I'm on Rosa. Um, I don't think there's any value there in Lipsky, not even as a dog or pass situation. I think Rosa is just battle-tested. She's tough to get out of there. She'll be grinding out the fight. At some point, she'll probably take it down. She'll get the best of Lipsky. And so I do like the potential of Rosa finishing the fight. So, like, TKO bet for Rosa is plus, like, a 1,000 or something like that. So it's a good prop bet to consider in this uh, in this women's bout. Moving down to Bozer versus Latifi. I think Latifi's just done. Has not looked good recently. Bozer's a little bit younger, 29 years old. I think he comes in here, has enough activity at minus 200. I like Bozer straight up to win the fight. This is the third one on the card that I really feel a lot of confidence about. So Rosenstrike and Baez I'm very confident about, and I'm also very confident on Bozer. It's not that I think Bozer's the best fighter in the world. I just have some really serious questions about where Latifi's at. You know, he's really slowing down, getting older. He's 37 years old, so I'm on Bozer. Uh, moving down to Salikov versus Trinaldo. This fight was added, taken off, and, and re-added again. Uh, I'm on Trinaldo. I think this fight could be a pick'em based on, you know, these two guys. Salikov's 36, Trinaldo's 42. Uh, with Trinaldo, you know, he's plus 185. The guy's durable. He's won, like, you know, three, four fights in a row. He's coming in here, you know, having some wins over, you know, John McDessie and some other guys that are decent. He's just a tough guy, you know, 42 years old. He's got that old man strength. So um, I'm going with Ronaldo here at the plus 185. I have no idea how this win happens, maybe by decision. So I have no prop bet suggestions on this fight. Moving down to Jones versus Patrick. Uh, this fight right here is, is, you know, if it's a decision, it's going to be a one-sided decision. Um, wouldn't be, sh I mean, I'd be a little surprised if Jones knocks out Patrick, but either way, it's a one-sided fight. This is a fight that also feel very, very, very confident. So along with Bozer, along with Baeza and along with Rosenstrike, this would be another pick that I feel very, very confident about. I just think of Patrick at 37 years old fighting a 26 year old fighter. I think Patrick is, you know, at that point he's, he's, he's showing signs of, of being done, look really tired and slow in his last fight. The only problem here is that it's minus 305 for Jones. So you're like, Ugh, what do you do here? I think the best thing to do is maybe parlay this this bet with or parlay this pick with some other stuff because minus 305 is just, just a lot. Moving down to the other women's fight of the night is uh, Firat versus Miraz. Firat just has the athletic ability on Firat, uh, probably by decision, but minus 165 is not bad. Just as a straight up money line bet for Firat. So uh, that's who we're going with Firat. Uh, moving down to Woodson versus Zalal. Uh, this one right here is interesting. Um, we saw some glaring holes in Woodson's game. We talked about it. We broke it down. The plus 160 is just very attractive here for Zalal. It's a prelim fight. You know, Woodson has some questions about his game. I think it's more of a pick -em. Why not get the value? So we're on Zalal. In terms of how he does it, you know, Zalal has some submissions in his, hist in his history. Woodson has been submitted in his recent history. So it's, I think it's like plus 1,200 here for a submission for Zalal. That's a prop bet that I'll be sprinkling and, and messing with. And then down to the, the first card, or the first fight of the entire card, it's uh, Levitt and Puelas. And so uh, we're going to be on Levitt for that fight. You know, not with a lot of confidence, but we're going to be on Levitt for that fight. He's coming in here with some momentum. 
We don't know a lot about Puelas. He's had a you know big layoff. So anyway, that's the full breakdown of the card in terms of you know where we feel good about our picks and the prop bets we like. If we're doing a parlay, you know, just to sort of review those bets that we really like the most, I like Rosenstrike, just straight up win. So here's the parlay bet that I would like. I would like Rosenstrike, Baeza, Bozer, Jones, and Ferrat. I think if you're parlaying those those pieces right there, that five. You've got a strong five. Now, could you mix it up and do some other stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I'm going down to like the second tier of the bets that I really feel the second most confident about, I think Tybura over Harris. I do feel pretty good about Tybura winning that fight. Delita over Starpoli. I do feel pretty good about that fight. Um, Rodriguez over Tarovic. I'll tell you what. Yeah, Tarovic. Big glaring issues there. So that that plus one forty, that's probably my favorite dog of the night. Um, you know, in you know, term yeah, that's the favorite dog of the night because in terms of my other dogs, I'm taking Kirk as a dogger pass over Americani, but it's a dogger pass situation, not doing a lot of confidence. You know what I mean? And and with Zalal, same kind of thing. Like I'm taking that that bet there at plus one sixty, not with a ton of confidence, and same thing with Trinaldo. So, you know, again a review on that. The dogs that we like are Zalal, Trinaldo. Kirk and Rodriguez, you know, but in terms of who we like the most for those dogs, it's Rodriguez. You know, other situations can kind of go, you know, up either way. So anyway, that's the full breakdown for UFC Vegas 28, uh, Rosenstrike versus Sakai. Uh, hopefully this was helpful for you. And let's all cross our fingers that we do not lose any of the fights on this card. Um, like we said, there's, you know, 13 fights or 14 fights in the card, which is really awesome. And, you know, for the UFC fans out there like myself, you know, I, I can't get enough. We're coming off of a weekend where we didn't have any UFC. So, you know, we're all going to be like uh, scratching, you know, hopefully to get, you know, get our fix in. So anyway, um, we also have some other stuff coming up this week as well. I mean, we leave. We also have like, you know, Bellator and some other stuff going on too. So it'll be a good week after coming off of a weekend where we didn't have anything just to sort of, you know, lock back in and, you know, enjoy some MMA action. So Anyway, thanks for listening. Hopefully this was helpful for you guys to get ready for the event. And, um, you know, we'll do our recap on Saturday night or after the fight. We'll have our whole full recap. It'll be within 30, 40 minutes of the end of the fight. I'll be on. I'll do the whole recap of the you know fight. We'll go over our card. We'll see what we got right, what we got wrong. And hopefully we're counting a lot of dubs and, and not a lot of L's, right? All right. Take care. Good luck, guys.